I can't overshare just how much empathy and compassion for kids ends up being a gift to them throughout their lives. But especially again, in those adolescent years, when things get kind of dicey, if you've already built that toolbox and have those skills in place, it's going to be a much smoother ride. What's up, everybody? This is Matt here with the Husband-in-Law Podcast. This is where we share our stories of love, ex-love, marriage, ex-marriage, divorce, ex-divorce, and coming out of a closet that needed to be opened, and so much more. This podcast is for those who are looking to up their relationship game by understanding first yourself, and then others, like your wife, your husband, and your wife's ex-husband, on a whole new level. Welcome to the Husband-in-Law Podcast. Let's get this party started. Welcome back to another episode of the Husband Law Podcast. We are so glad you are here. A couple things before we dive into this week's episode, which is the last episode of our summer series. Next week, Matt and I and Steve will be back for your listening pleasure. But before we dive in, I wanted you to know first and foremost, coaching is still open. This is the last time it will be open this year. So if you are wanting in on group coaching, please, please, please pause this, head to the show notes now and claim your spot because there are only a couple spots left. We are almost completely full and we would love to have you join us. And I say we because we have brought on another coach to be able to serve you to our best capacity. She has also had a partner come out. She is a licensed therapist. She knows how it is to not have your partner actually come out to anybody else but you. And she is navigating all of the things right alongside you and an amazing, an amazing coach. So you get not only me, but you get both of us when you sign up for coaching now. And it is going to be a game changer. You are going to find a community of support of people who understand what you are going through, who understand how hard and difficult this is. You will feel less alone. You will be able to find your peace. You will claim your voice and be able to move forward through this and quit chasing the person who lit your house on fire. If you want to know more about that, go get signed up for group coaching and we will explain it all. So excited to be able to get you know you better. I'm also very excited to introduce you to this week's podcast guest. It is Lindsay Miller, the stress nanny. She coaches kids who are dealing with anxiety and stress. Who better to bring on as we are navigating hard things in real time and also helping our kids navigate something hard in real time. And we need all of the support and love we can get as we do that and we figure out how we can best support our children. She helps kids manage stress and anxiety through using mindfulness, awareness, emotional regulation, resilience, and empathy. I am so excited for you guys to learn from Lindsay Miller. She is awesome. And I hope you enjoy today's episode of the Husband-in-Law Podcast. My friends, I am so excited that Lindsay Miller is here today. And I feel like this is kind of a almost selfish interview on my part. (laughs) Although part of it is, I mean, this is one of the top things women come to me with when they've experienced some sort of crisis in their relationship is what do I do now for my kids? How do I support my children as they go through something hard? And also I have a daughter who is a little anxious soul. And there are things that she's not like, she's still functioning. She still like does the things she wants to do, but it's taken a lot of intentional work. And I always love learning more from the experts on this topic so that I know I'm like, okay, these are the things we can continue forward. So I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Jessica. I'm excited for our chat today. Awesome. Okay. So to start us out, I would love for you to give us your introduction of you. Who are you and how did you get to where you are today? 
The first thing I want people to know is that this has been a journey, just like, you know, you described for your own. And so anybody who's in a space where they're kind of thinking about something they might want to do or thinking about ways things might look a little different. I hope that in this story, you take it in a way that is maybe aspirational, like it's possible no matter what's going on. And it may not seem clear in the moment, but you'll get there. So I had a quite a while for getting my first child. It was several, it was about seven years before I had my first daughter. And during that time, I was stewing in a lot of different emotions. You know, infertility is really tough. And I was trying to figure out how to take care of myself, get to know myself, like what did I, you know, want for my life. And I found myself in the thick of so much anxiety around all those choices because I was second guessing myself. I, I didn't know if I was doing it right. I wanted to make sure I was, you know, covering all the bases. And at the same time, I had a partner who, you know, his journey through infertility looked really different from my own. And so we had to kind of blend our pathways through it. And there was just so much in there that felt hard and like a slog and really tough. And I availed myself of mental health support multiple times, you know, through that process, because I just needed some different tools. And every time I'd go to my therapist, she's like, we've just hit a place where you need a few more tools. That's all Mm -hmm. this is, you know, like what you're navigating really normal for a person under the stress that you're going through. You just need a few more tools. So we have our daughter. Fast forward several years. I'm in the middle of like a health crisis and my I have an autoimmune condition and things were just like in a tailspin real quick. I had to, again, kind of pick myself up from my bootstraps, figure out what was going on, how I could help my body and just be really present in another hard moment and work my way through. So I make it through that. I decide I want to you know, start supporting other people on their journeys and as I looked around, you and I talked about this a little off camera uh, with these women that I was working with, I was looking at our lives and thinking to myself, if we had had these tools when we were younger, the kind of resilience we could have started to build when we were small, you know, it, it would be life changing. And childhood is kind of the hinge on which the rest of your life swings. And so if you can have the tools in place early, there's so many more options that open up to you because you know you don't get kind of stuck as much or the hurdles that you face are still there, but you just have a totally different toolkit for getting over them. And so I shifted, you know, I'd I'd been working with my own daughter through some challenging things. I had a miscarriage at one point and had uh, you know, had to explain really big and hard things to her in the language of a 3-year-old. You know, and we'd have to talk about these huge emotional upheavals you know, in terms of balloons and in terms of water and into, you know, just everyday things that a three-year-old can connect with. And so I started to realize I was onto something when other people started asking me, like, can you help my kid? Like, can you do that? Can you help them like kind of conceptualize what's going on and move through it? So I started helping other people's kids. And then I, I shifted into exclusively working with kids because again, the the tools, it's just like we have to explain them in a slightly different way to kids. And sometimes we don't give them credit for all the ways that they can kind of own their own growth, given the right resources and support around them. And so I, you know, just continue to teach, continue to develop more tools, continue to expand my reach as a coach for kids, as a mindfulness coach for kids. And I've loved every minute of it. Um, One of the things that I it brings me the most joy is watching kiddos who come, you know, super anxious and tense or just in the thick of something that, you know, maybe... It's often just life experiences, right? That find us at certain times when developmentally we don't have what we need to get through them. 
until we reach out for help. And so I'll see these kids who are just kind of closed off. They're not trying new things. They're not really interested in, you know, engaging. They're having a hard time even just managing day-to-day emotions. And I'll see all of that start to lighten, you know, over time as we practice mindfulness and they emerge, you know, they emerge from whatever it is that they're going through, whatever it is that is stressful for them in that time. And they come through it not only with like a renewed zest for things that are exciting to them, but also with this toolbox ready, you know, to take with them for the rest of their lives so that the next time something challenging hits, it's not drowning them as much as they're like, okay, which tool do I need to kind of stay afloat during this moment? So awesome. And I'm thinking, you know, I work with women basically yep. doing the same work. Like that's what it is. It's right. exciting. I I relate to those moments of seeing that change and that shift. And it is such a beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, I love it. And I also tell women like you going through something hard in your relationship, going through a crisis in your life and you getting the tools you need is one of the greatest gifts you can give to your kids. Cause women are like, what about my kids? I'm like, but you are modeling for them and showing them how to heal, how to reach out, how to keep yourself afloat when things are hard. And so I love um, knowing that you provide that support directly to the kids. And uh, while mothers and parents are navigating that on their own or adjacent to or whatever. So, so cool. Okay. So I would love today for you to be able to give us, you know, two or three of your top tips of how we can help our kids be mindful. Where do we start? What are what are some of the things that you would suggest we do? Yeah, let's yeah. So first let's start with what mindfulness is because I think a lot Love of times it. if we haven't had experience with it, we have uh, this kind of misconception that it's meditation, it's sitting quietly, and those can be all part of a mindfulness practice. But mindfulness is just like the day-to-day experiences and like the way we approach them. So the way that I define it, and again, everything is really simple because I'm teaching kids, right? But a lot of times adults are like, oh, I really can connect with that definition too. (laughs) Um, 100%. Yeah. Mindfulness is knowing what's going on inside of you, knowing what's going on outside of you, and then making a choice on purpose. Mm, I love that. So really, you know, as adults, we talk about being present and that's what being present is, you know, is kind of just taking in all the info, not fighting where we're at and then moving through. But for kids, we have to be a little more specific. So knowing what's going on inside of us is checking in on our emotions, our physical state, you know, kind of our mental state. Are we having racing thoughts? Are we kind of having sluggish thoughts? What's going on inside of us? And that's like a muscle that we build, right? There's a part of our brain that's specifically designed to kind of keep tabs on all of that. And if it doesn't get practice, then it's not a strong neural connection. So as we strengthen that neural connection, that process, it gets easier and easier to kind of just take quick inventory. Like, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? How's my body? And we get a ton of, you know, right? A ton of messages from from those three, just like those three inventory points have a lot of info for us. And then we take a minute to notice what's going on outside of us. What is the context? Like, where are we? Who are we with? what relationships are kind of playing into this moment or what relationship dynamics might be influencing, you know, this, this interaction or experience. And then we take all of those things and we sit with them for just a second, usually with the breath. And then we make a choice going forward. So for kids, what this looks like is, you know, before maybe getting some blood work, okay, feeling I'm scared and I'm afraid of the pain. And I know my body is feeling kind of tense and my mom is here 
And I've done this before. And I know I have some things I can think about while I'm doing my blood work. So instead of letting that anxiety and that tension ratchet up, we can kind of start to diffuse and then figure out what is it that I need. So I'm going to think about how the last time I did this, the nurse said, I did so good. I'm going to think about my mom holding my hand and then ask her if I can have her phone so I can watch a movie and not see the needle. And over time, you know, again, with that steady practice, as we get to know ourselves and as we get to know the things that kind of bring that tension up in us and the things that help it come down, we have, you know, ways to make it through. And the tension itself doesn't strike us with fear. We just can kind of move through. So knowing what's going on inside of us, knowing what's going on outside of us, making a choice on purpose, setting up that framework, that's the first thing for sure. That is so awesome. I think (laughs) you must know what's going on in my life because my daughter is... (laughs) She might be having to get some blood work done and she hates needles. And so I'm like, okay. And I talked to her last. I'm like, listen, you know, it's going to hurt. Like we're aware of these things. And also you can have my phone to watch a show. Like you can scroll Instagram, whatever. I don't care, but this is something that needs to be done so that we can help you feel your best. So I love that you shared that. I have a question in this and I I think you kind of touched on it, but Oftentimes when we dive into, and this is coming from the adult perspective, and so I'm wondering what it's like as a kid or what you see in kids is we judge what it is we're feeling inside. So we have a tendency to say um, whatever emotions we're identifying or feeling or whatever. It's like, no, this is bad. This is wrong. This is whatever. Or on the reverse, this is good. Like it, it can be all across the board. Do kids do that as much as adults? I would say, and it's one of the reasons I love teaching kids, because if, if you think about it, if you have seven years or 10 years of conditioning around that, it takes some time to undo, right? But, you know, I approached my first mental health experience at probably 25 and I had 25 years and some pretty heavy emotions to, to you know, kind of sift through. So I do see it with kids. A lot of times there is uh, an element of acculturation, like in a family, And I want to be really clear that most of the families that I work with, the parents are working so hard to learn right alongside the kids, usually the mom, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's most of the time it's the mom doing the work and trying to figure it out and just saying like, I didn't have these tools when I was growing up. And so I'm trying to learn them now, but I also need them like stat for my kid. And I don't have time to kind of muddle through it myself and learn in order to teach. So first of all, like everyone's doing such an incredible job, usually trying to figure it out. But a lot of times if we've, you know, through those formative years told our kids like, go, go to your room till you can come out happy. Or why are you so sad right now? Like, don't be, you know, don't be sad. If we've talked to them in a way that has given them those stories about emotions, then a lot of times they will, you know, feel bad about anger. They'll get uh, down on themselves if they can't not feel anxious, you know, like what's wrong with you? Why can't you, you, you did this last week. Why can't you figure it out this week? And again, as parents, sometimes we say things that, you know, later in hindsight, we're like, well, maybe that wasn't the most skillful way to approach it. So all the, you know, compassion in the world, but that non-judgmental mentality, what I do see is families who cultivate that internally, the kids have a much easier time not judging their emotions, you know, and they'll have a little bit more compassion for themselves a little bit more um, openness in terms of what they're feeling. Because a lot of times what happens is when we moralize emotion, we end up getting a really tight range of what it's okay to feel, right? And you see this. 
it's like you can feel these these things and be okay. But if it's outside this range, then something's wrong with you or you need to feel bad about yourself. And kids will, will do that too. It's just easier to open up the range when they're kids. Does that answer yeah. your question? When we don't have so many years of conditioning stuck on us. And it is true. Like I think there's things we say to our kids that now I'm like, oh, that's really not a great thing to say. And one that always comes to mind is that doesn't hurt. That didn't hurt. You're yeah. fine. That didn't hurt. You're yeah. fine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like we are sending them a clear message that they can't feel the feeling of pain, that that's bad to feel in pain when really knowing your body and hearing what's going on in your body is so huge <laughs> and such yeah. an important part of mindfulness, I I would feel like. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I think, you know, as I see kids and as I see them kind of move through the world is that we live in a time where if you don't know yourself, it gets really, really tricky to filter. There's so Mm. much out there, so much information. If you can't tune in to kind of your intuition around something, if you can't take a gut check and know, like move toward, move away from this, you know, like just the basic things like that. If that's not in your range, it can be even more anxiety inducing because you don't actually know you've kind of lost your true north, right? You don't know what in this crazy, big, huge, infinite options world is for you. And so if we take that from kids when they're little, they're going to spend quite a bit of time trying to find it again as they adult and try to make decisions and try to figure out what is for them and try to move through the world in a way that's resonant with you know their internal compass. If if we connect them with that compass right off the bat, like you said, yeah, that feels like that hurts. Tell me where it hurts. What does that pain feel like? What is the way that you feel that anxiety? Is it in your body? Is it in a racing mind? You know, if we if we give them the ability to tune in, it, it serves the whole rest of their lives. And also, I think as parents, and I've done this before, I think like I don't have time for this right now. Like I don't have time to, to go down like an emotional track with my kid. I don't have time to sit in this, you know, deep swell of sadness. Or, you know, if we're going through our own stuff, it can be especially tricky, you know, it, it, to sit in those moments. But if instead of thinking of it as like, if I go with this emotion, it's going to make it bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're never going to get out of it. Thinking, if I sit with my child in this moment, we're going to move through this emotion and it's not going to, you know, keep cycling back because it hasn't been addressed, that can be really supportive, you know, because it's hard to sit with kids if they're hurt. You're like, we're trying to get out of the house for this. Like, I am sorry that you bumped into that and that you're feeling it really deeply. We we really do need some go somewhere, you know, just want to get out. But if you're like, okay, sit with it for a minute. What happens is the ROI on those choices is massive later on. You know, if you can sit with a four-year-old and help them identify those specific emotions, by the time they're 10 or 12, they have this deep emotional vocabulary and their level of emotional intelligence is fantastic. And the resilience that you get with high emotional intelligence, also amazing. And so if you can think of it more as an investment than an inconvenience, what happens is over time, you build momentum. And at first, it's really hard to start, you know, validating emotion and being like, here we go again. Like, (laughs) yeah, every night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But what happens is when you engage, you have to sit in your own discomfort around it. Right. But then also you, every time, every time you engage with it, you get a new tool. Every time you sit with them, you offer them compassion. And those things, they are huge. 
they're like, I can't overshare just how much empathy and compassion for kids ends up being a gift to them throughout their lives. But especially again, in those adolescent years, when things get kind of dicey, if you've already built that toolbox and have those skills in place, it's going to be a much smoother ride. Yeah, I love all of this so much. And it is powerful. I think about, you know, watching like the investment of sitting in in that space with the child goes a long way. And uh, I can only speak from my own experiences, but I, Penny, my daughter tends, tends at night to, you know, that's when her emotions come and the sad emotions come and like the things that have been bothering her for the day. And I have found that if I just sit there and just let her let it all out, I'm like, let's hear it all. But what are all the things coming to your mind? Share them. She goes to sleep. And instead of her staying up and crying and being in that, and I'm like, I am so tired. And also if I sit here for five minutes and let her let it out, we can make progress. Uh, And she still, I don't have to fix anything. I think it's hard to Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, I need to fix this. I need to do this. I need to tell her how to fix it. But really it's just letting them, for Penny at least, letting her get it out and then we can deal with it. And then I'll be like, you know what? I see these points, like let's, maybe talk about them again tomorrow (laughs) or whatever, but unless she wants to come up with a solution then. But I think that there is power in that. Yeah, 100%. And again, like you offering that compassion, when we model, and you do it so beautifully, you know, in the work with women that you do, when we model that kind of support for our kids, we encourage them to seek it. So if they know what it's like to feel heard and understood because you sat with, you know, if Penny's, she knows what that's like. She has a felt experience of that. So in other relationships that she finds herself in, she's going to feel a resonance if she's known and understood, and she's going to feel a disconnect if she's not. So as hard as it is in those moments, and it's especially challenging, you know, for moms navigating crisis, if we're in the middle of something really hard and we're also doing the work ourselves, what happens in these moments is we also kind of become aware of maybe the way like choices or experiences that we've had or made play into this child's current emotional state you know mm-hmm. and that can be so much to sit with you know as a as a mom especially we're sitting there and like noticing and again that that compassion for ourselves for our child and not blaming like we're not thinking oh because i didn't handle that miscarriage as well or because i didn't have the tools to handle you know the divorce as well now my child is you know spinning in this and it's my fault like emotion is emotion and life is life and there are moments when we have a bunch of both, right? Like a bunch of life stuff coming up and a bunch of emotions. And the the blame is it's usually not uh, productive, you know, in any no. way. And so we can connect with like the origin of an experience, the origin of an emotion, but doing it without judgment lets our kids feel that lack of judgment, lets us feel that lack of judgment, and then really opens us up to sit in that space in the way you're describing, right? Okay, let's hear it. Let's have it out. Let's understand what's going on with you. And sometimes it's not related to anything about us, right? But for kids who tend toward a lot of anxiety or things, it can be really easy for moms to look back and be like, oh, if only I'd done this earlier, if only I'd done this or this, or if only I'd, I must have done something wrong that she's feeling like this. And that those are the thoughts that in those moments we have to let go of in order to sit in that neutrality and just be like, here's some emotions coming up. I'm a safe space for them. What's going on? We tend to make other people's issues about us in in every relationship. It's just a natural human tendency. And it's almost, um, I want to say part of our ego is just 
well, if this is happening, it must be about me. I can think of several people in my life who, if I'm in a crappy mood or just more quiet than usual, it's instantly they think it's about them. And it becomes like this whole big thing. And I'm like, I can have an off day. It is not about you. And I think about that with our kids too. Like I... I have bad days. My kid is going to have bad days. It doesn't mean anything about me. And maybe it is because of something I did or a situation we are in, but that's okay. They still get to have feelings about that. It doesn't mean I'm a failure of a parent. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and again, just the the steady practice of non-judgment and compassion, it builds over time, right? And so a lot of times when we approach it, we think, oh my gosh, I, that sounds so hard to sit with my kid and not spiral out. Or that sounds so hard to sit with an emotion for 30 minutes while my you know, child shares this laundry list of things that they're worried about because it triggers my own anxiety or you know, whatever it is. But again, if it's an investment that has huge return. And so taking just like, I can sit with this emotion for one minute. I could sit with this emotion for two minutes. I could sit, you know, I can sit in this space, even though I'm uncomfortable. It really lends itself to long-term growth in incredible ways. I love that. Okay. So first of all, is we're working on that mindfulness. We're going into what is mindfulness and teaching that to our kids. Like this is the basic we just went over like connecting to your inside and what's going on outside and then making a decision. Yeah. Um, and so do you have any suggestions on when we get to that decision making part for our kids of how we support them in making a decision? Yes. So I want to again point out that this can depend on the age of your child. Right. So when I take, I have a degree in child development. So I take an approach that's developmentally appropriate. So if you want to chat about the specifics for a certain child and you're listening right now, let's chat. I'm going to give you kind of a range, but recognize that it's going to be different for your teenager than for your toddler. Mm. But if we have the ability to sit with our kid ourselves, and if we also have the ability to recognize where the consequences are going to land, it's going to be different. So if we can look at it from the perspective of, if I let my five-year-old make this choice, and then if I'm okay to sit with my five-year-old while he realizes the consequence of this choice, it's a lot easier, right? And as kids get older, the consequences shift. And sometimes intervention is more necessary because we haven't, you know, we've passed the point where the decision is going to have a small consequence. But um, being able to sit with our child in the decision-making process without judgment is actually a really challenging thing to do. Because we have ideas on what would be best for them. We have some different, you know, opinions about what what it's going to look like. So what I think the important thing is to remember as part of that whole decision-making process is there's always a next decision. So like if this one doesn't pan out the way maybe your child wants or you want, there's always going to be a next decision. And so you can adjust. And it's in that small adjustment period that the most learning happens, right? So if you're watching your child... The other day we were talking at our house about um, a high school class. So my daughter's taking Latin in middle school and she has a chance to take Latin for in high school and or she can, you know, take an art credit. And so she at first she was like, yes, Latin four. I want this to show on my transcript. I'm ready to go. My friends are taking it. This is going to be awesome. And I was like, OK, yeah, that sounds great. You know, and then she circled back midsummer and she was like, Mom, I've thought some more about this. I'm not sure if Latin is one of my favorite subjects. And if it's something I want to spend a lot of time and energy on this fall, because I have some other classes that are going to be challenging, I think I might want to change it. 
And so the part of me that is, you know, like wanting her to be successful in life and get into a great college and have a strong, you know, transcript is like, but wait, Latin. I mean, we kind of already talked about this. Latin four is, you know, kind of a, it's going to show great. Not very many kids have that. Um, and I had to sit with those thoughts with myself, right. Before I verbalized and say, okay, what is, what is my, what am I hoping for in this outcome? I'm hoping that she has a good high school experience and that she positions herself for a future with choices. That's what I'm hoping for. Mm -hmm. And then I had to sit with like what she wanted and was her perspective kind of like, was she tuned into the most important things? Was she making a more impulsive decision? And if she's tuned into the more important things, which she she was, right? Like I want to have a, a balanced first semester and kind of dip my toes in the water of high school before diving in. I want to focus on the things that are a priority for me, especially as I see my future right now. And I want to um, cultivate a sense of balance in my life and not feel overwhelmed. So, I mean, I've taught her some of those skills, right? So at this point, I'm not going to be like, well, forget it. Balance is totally overrated and it doesn't matter. No, I'm going to, you know, honor those decisions. So then, you know, she reached out to the registrar, changed the class, her schedule came out, she got her schedule and we had the chance to kind of address it again and say, okay, you've gotten your schedule. Do you feel like this is the balance that you're looking for? You know, reassess. So that was the next decision, right? We could say, okay, we, if you want, we could add that back in at this point, we can leave it as it is. And she felt really confident and comfortable with that, you know, that aspect of her schedule and felt an enthusiasm for moving forward. The thing is, if, and I know she has because we've seen it for the last, you know, five or so years or eight or so years that we've been practicing since she was little. I know what enthusiasm and like resonance feels like for her, you yes. know, and we know what her like when she's feeling confident about a step forward, we already know what that looks like. And so in this moment, I could recognize those qualities in her and say, okay, this does seem like the best decision, even though there's still a part of me that was like, but it would look so good on, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So it's anecdotal, but I think those same principles apply in other situations where we have to sit with how we're feeling about our kids' decision, recognize that this beautiful life that they're living is indeed their own, and then serve as a support and a resource for them kind of like sifting through the decision-making process, learning from what they experience as a result of their decisions. And then I think the most important part, being there to guide them with compassion and empathy when it's time for the next decision. Yeah. Whether things go as planned or not, or how exactly. they envisioned or not. We don't show up and be like, I told you this was, I knew this wasn't going to be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And but I mean, hey, I think you know, we, that didn't work. Let's pivot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think there's, there's no harm in, you know, in a neutral moment saying, yeah. you know, I just so we're clear, this was one of the things that I had some reservations about, you know, as we were talking about before, because as a parent, I think, especially depending on the age of your child, it can always be helpful to like build your credibility, right? Yeah. Or, or in, you know, in six months from now, when there's another decision coming up, this is probably the better time to bring it up in six months from now saying when, you know, when another decision is being made, referring back and being like, you know, before I had mentioned this, And that's kind of what ended up happening. So in this situation, one of the things I'm kind of thinking you may see is this, you know, referring, referring to it in a way that doesn't put down our children or make them feel dumb, but that does kind of build our credibility as a resource for them. I think that can have value, but yeah, we're not, we're not saying, well, uh, you've totally messed up and I completely saw this coming. I tried to tell you and now look where we are. We don't get mad at them for the present moment. We just sit with them compassionately in it. 
love that. All of that. And those are hard things to do. All of those things. It takes practice and it takes grace, I think, with ourselves and with our kids, but probably especially with ourselves of saying, oh, I messed this one up and owning that. I've apologized to my daughter so many times, which I think is good for her to see. Like, you know what? I didn't do the best in this one, or I shouldn't have said it that way, or I apologize that I put that on you. Um, There's so much power in that. So, okay. I have so many questions and could go on and on forever, but I also know you have probably answers to my questions out there in your podcast, in your coaching resources and all of that. So I think that with the information you have shared, this gives us such a good starting point. And I am so grateful that you came and shared this with us. And again, like Lindsay said, if you need more, go find her. If you have specific questions, show up in her DMs, shoot her an email, but you do have a something we can check out now. And I would love for you to tell us more about your five-minute mindfulness mastermind, which I love that it is five minutes. Like <laughs> you know moms. I you know. know moms. We don't have time for like a 45-minute masterclass on mindfulness. No. Yeah. So I have a five-minute mindfulness masterclass. You can sign up for it on my website, which is thestressnanny.com. That's my brand. I'm also on Instagram. The five-minute mindfulness masterclass will just give you a little bit more, a few more like steps forward on your journey to implement. And like Jessica, you said, it's not overnight. There's a lot of grace that has to be extended in all ways. And just taking one next step is a, you know, a huge benefit to you and your kids. I love that so much. All of the ways to connect with Lindsay will be in the show notes. So you can go find her on Instagram, like she said, at the stress nanny, as well as all of her resources will be there for you. A link to The masterclass will be there and we are so grateful for your time that you put to be with us today. Thank you for the work that you do. Thanks so much for having me, Jessica. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Lindsay is full of great advice. Just so amazing. I hope you learned something from her and remember that you can contact her on Instagram and find everything she has to offer. I also wanted to remind you that if you have any questions for Matt and I and Steve, you can go to our show notes and click the form and submit those questions there. It'll take you less than five minutes and we will be sure to answer your question on an upcoming episode of the Husband Law Podcast. Also, If you are loving this podcast, please, please, please share it on social media. Leave us a rating and review. It means the world to us and it means even more to those who are looking for a podcast and who need the support that we offer here. If you have received support from us here, this is an easy, free way for you to be able to spread that support to other people. Please leave us a rating and review. Share it with somebody you know. Share it on social media. We are so grateful for your love and support. And we appreciate it if you would keep spreading the love. See you next week.